0: Happy Holidays, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes. We're hard at work here in the podcast minds, getting one more ready for before the year's over for all you lovely listeners out there. As always, I'm your host, G, and with me, also as always, my co-host, Iro. Uh
1: Happy Holidays from the Earth Cult. Uh, everyone here <laughs> on Earth wishes you Happy Holidays.
0: Because we will one day return to the Promised Land.
1: Terra is my mother, Terra in my hand.
0: <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know, that's the problem with this, like, happy holidays bullshit. All the people are forgetting the real meaning of uh. Christmas is... What, what was it again? Terra in my heart, Terra in my...
1: <laughs> Terra is my mother, Terra in my hand. That's such a...
0: Uh, what, a what a weird... <sighs> a- anyways, <laughs> point is... Tis the season for giving, because Legend of the Galactic Heroes might have given us the best gift of all. And that gift is three more fantastic episodes of the legendary 1988
1: OVA. Yeah, Uh, we've got episode 33, Fortress vs. Fortress. Episode 34, The Return. And episode 35, Determination and Ambition.
0: Indeed, indeed. And, uh, you know... As I always say, what a trio of episodes! <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's an interesting couple of episodes of time, uh,
0: <laughs> more than just a little bit interesting. I, I'm gonna have to come up with new superlatives because <laughs> I'm actually
1: sh- just really glad and I'm I'm tickled that we decided before we even began that we should do three episode chunks, and those three episode chunks have just like worked out really well for pacing.
0: Totally. It, it keeps working out for us, weirdly enough. So, uh, you know, I feel like uh, this episode might go on a bit long, depending on how into the weeds yeah. we get. So we better just get started. Yeah. So.
1: Fortress versus uh, Fortress. We just like the cliffhanger of last episode. Yeah, the amazing
0: the, cliffhanger.
1: Tiresburg Fortress opening fire with its Death Star laser on user load.
0: Yeah. 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 So uh, episode 33 just kicks off with, uh, you know, basically... Geyersberg and Uzerlund just basically trading shots with each other with their giant laser cannons. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we see that Castle New is kind of... Uh,
1: Apprehensive about... About sure this protection. whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, but... uh, You know what, I think, you know, we luckily got... We, you know, Shenkop is right, you know, in this situation. It's like, well, <laughs> we can't just let them fucking shoot at us. We gotta do something. Shoot so, they do. And, uh, you know... It's all about, you know, because this whole battle, as we talked about last week, is, oh, we just gotta stall long enough for Yang to get here, because Yang's gonna come here, and he's gonna be bringing the whole fleet with him.
1: Yeah, totally. I'll bring the entire first fleet. Right, everyone?
0: Or it at least that's great. what would happen if the FPA were not <laughs> fucking self-defeating to the bitter end.
1: Yeah, we're introduced we f- here to, what, Walter Islands, who was sure, speaking, yes. speaking with Job Trunik, uh, yes, last week. And, uh... He's like, oh no, you can't take the First Fleet, how would we defend the capital then from it's like, threats, <laughs> it's even like though you've... the Empire's knocking on Izerlone? Right,
0: it's like, you you dumbass, you idiot, you fool, like, Ezerloan is the front door of the FPA at this point, if you don't guard that, like... Uh, just
1: unscrewed, and I mean, look, ex- we get and it. Right going back to the Artemis necklace excuse.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, look, we get it. Right, the FPA is not only stupid, but also totally in the pocket of Fazan, So, right, you know, it's not like we can expect much for them. But uh, they, so they basically tell Young, "Hey, you're gonna have to go collect like some secondary fleets from the other like outlying colonies. Yep, not like this will take extra time or anything.
1: <laughs> just like Back to giving young Winley this these slap cobbled-together fleets to win it's, battles.
0: It's absurd, right? Like, they literally hear that the Empire with, like, a million troops or something, right? Like, a million troops and 15,000 ships and, you know, a fucking miniature Death Star thing are <laughs> literally at the front door of Ezerlone. And the FBA is still like, eh. I don't know, young, figure it out yourself. It's like
1: uh, 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 just, <laughs> after we took you away to yell at you for a while.
0: Right, it's just uh. So anyways,
1: among among the uh forces young is given is what Rear Admiral, Rear Admiral Allerkin, uh <laughs> who was court-martialed for shooting civilians in POWs. You know, uh what a nice some guy. might say
0: in the old book of tactics, not a good move. But <laughs> uh, who am I to say?
1: Yeah. So young says, "Troops, troops are troops."
0: Yep. Yeah. But uh, we cut back to uh, we cut back to Izerlone where we find out that the Empire is launching the first wave of their plan, which is to attempt to breach Izerlone, uh yeah. with uh, with some troops. Ship, and kind com- of, uh, ship
1: to ship combat's kind of a stalemate because yeah, they're both yeah, close enough to just fire their giant fuck off laser guns.
0: Right. It's it's an interesting impasse of sorts. So, you know, the Empire kind of makes the first move here, you know, try to try to pull young Wen Lee, basically, get, you know, land their troops in, on Ezerlone. But uh, what they forgot is that motherfucking Shenkop and the Rosen Ritter are at Ezerlone and uh, I understand it's been a while since we've seen the Rosen Ritter just righteous, you know, just run fucking roughshod over some fools but uh we are reminded once again why Shen cop and the Rosenrider are not to be fucked with There's because this
1: great extended sequence of melee combat uh with both sides just like on their fucking Star Wars hoverbikes yes skating on fucking over, bikes skating over the like reflective <laughs> reflective ocean of Iserlone yes
0: the liquid metal ocean of Ezerlone. it's it's such a fantastic, like truly, like old school classic sci-fi image, you know, of these fucking literal, you know, knights in powered armor with <laughs> axes riding hover bikes over a liquid metal ocean. It's it's wonderful. It's it's
1: great. It does kind of a little bit remind me of uh, when we watched Yamato twenty one ninety nine with like
0: oh yeah,
1: here are these convenient clouds of space dust to make water explosions.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, you know, it's a sci-fi trope. You know, if if space isn't portrayed as air, then it's portrayed as an ocean. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes, we get to watch Shen Kopp and the Rosen Ritter just fucking brutalize these yeah. these yeah. Empire uh, troops. It's it's great. It's it's amazing. I haven't seen, I
1: haven't seen a display of such such tactical acumen since. <laughs> uh, Episode seven. Right. Yeah, or, yeah, totally. Um, when they first took Easter loan. Totally. It's
0: yeah, you know, speaking of tax- tactical acumen, I mean that's kind of really what makes the the next the next couple of episodes so fun to watch. It's just it really is just all about, you know, the FPA and the Empire playing off, you know, playing against each other, you know, you know, reacting to each other's plans. Yeah. And you know, we'll kind of get into that, you know. So yeah, so basically the uh Shenkup fends off the the Empire incursion and uh, comes back to uh, comes back to the bridge of Iserlone and brings up the important points that I hadn't actually realized right. until Ka- Shenkov brought it up.
1: Well, so Casalnew is worried that if any of, if any of the troops are captured, then they could be tortured and perhaps give up the information that Yang Winley is not present at Iserloan.
0: Right. Like, we had all initially assumed, oh, this is going to be, you know, ship-to-ship battles. You know, there's not going to be time to to capture POWs and interrogate them. But with these kind of boarding actions, actually, this is a, a very real fear. You yeah. know, a very, like, real angle that uh that the FPA has to worry about.
1: Mm-hmm. And Shinkop says, uh, well, when you fight in space, there aren't always corpses left behind for us to find. Yeah. So an- anyone missing is considered dead
0: right but uh you know shen copy and shen is like don't worry
1: <laughs> i got a plan <laughs> a trick a plan that uh we will <laughs> we'll say we'll you see
0: we'll see later play out in the next episode <laughs> but um yeah so and, yeah like, we get back to
1: the entire sequence like we keep repeatedly cut back to young Wenli lee on his ship that's yes. heading towards back towards these alone basically giving running commentary of the battle because his tact his, his tactical mind is so sound that he can predict uh what, what's probably going on uh, yes
0: it's it's kind of a magnificent excuse to basically as you said give young the opportunity to just give like you know literal like sports game play-by-plays on this battle you know it's like where young's like well if I was there and I was controlling the Empire, I would do this. I think that would be the the, the tactical action to make here. And then lo and behold, that's on, exactly what they something. do. Right. <laughs> it's it's perfect, but also because it's Yang Wen Lee, we can believe you know, <laughs> that he would nail these with such pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, but and, anyways, uh, we, we return to Izerlone and Geiersberg still trading blows, and
1: yeah, Geiersberg starts moving in close. Yeah, yeah, Kemp
0: has a plan here, and you know, like we we kind of characterize Kemp as you know kind of a a stiff, straightforward man. You know, probably a good leader to his men, but you know, not particularly innovative. But I gotta admit, he he pulls off a hell of a plan here. It's a pretty it's,
1: cool plan. It's, it's a really good plan.
0: So basically Guisberg and Izer, I mean Giers, Giersberg tra, charges Iselone.
1: Yeah, well he and, sends all of his uh what it does he sends the fleet around to the back of Iselone.
0: Yes, yes. First he does that he sends them around to the back of Iselone which, you know, makes you know, a broad amount of tactical sense in a siege, you know, but you, you know even with Iselone's like weird floating turrets, but the real ingenuity of this plan comes from the fact that he he trades on the fact that Ezerlone has more mass than than Geyersburg. Yeah. And basically uses Geiersberg's because Geiersberg is also such a large body, it has its own gravitational pull, and what he does is he moves close enough to Ezerlone that it pulls the liquid metal ocean until oh, it's submerged. top
1: of the uh, uh, Thor the, hammer. The gun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Preventing it from firing. And,
1: uh, because of Ezerlone's gravity on Geiersberg, Geyersberg's armor becomes thicker in the front, protecting yes. it from the Thorhammer fire.
0: Yes. It's an ingenious tactic. Her, that... Yeah.
1: I was really impressed, actually. Yeah. I was we, like. We've been told repeatedly that Ezerlone has a liquid metal armor. Right. And so logically, it would be affected. By like tidal by gravitational forces. pull, yeah. Uh, it's, just because it's not orbiting anything, it's basically free floating in space. Right.
0: It's it's really it's a really like these are the kind of plots that make me love sci-fi and space operas and this and just this genre in general because it is an ingenious tactic that, in many ways, is the equivalent of, for example, a medieval general using the weather or the terrain against his opponent. But it's extrapolated to, to the final battlefield, space, the frontier. You know, and
1: <laughs> my favorite thing it, about this was that um, not only does it make sense from a standpoint that it would work, but it made sense that nobody in universe had thought of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because whereas,
1: like, it, I think when you start to talk about like terrain or weather, you c- can. Sometimes fall into the trap of like, well, why didn't they just notice that there was a cliff here <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> right, right. Whereas um, this, like, there is no normal situation where Isolde would ever be affected by such things.
0: Right, like this battle, this type of battle is unheard of. You know, in many ways, this Geiersberg versus Isolde fight is is kind of treading new ground for you know, space warfare.
1: Another page to the history of the galaxy.
0: Indeed, yeah. And and not only does it pull the metal alloy towards Geysburg, but it leaves the back exposed, which yes. allows the fleet to uh to land a heavy blow on Isalone.
1: Yeah. Kinda keep the uh FBA troops stuck in, basically. Yeah.
0: And uh then naturally as a result of this we return to Young where he decides to give us <laughs> His spiel uh, on the nature of governance. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, uh, there's plenty of time after, after also after like Julian running to go sortie and thinking about how Young and Frederica really should hook up. Yes, yes. Why is he taking so long?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh Julian. <laughs> always always has everybody's uh your
1: start, I yes. guess.
0: But uh because yeah. well, naturally the segue there is for Young to talk about how you know, government, there is no inherent good or bad government. You know, yeah. the, the point of a government is how you run it for the good of society. And I kind of love that Yang basically has a conversation that we here in the podcast have had multiple times yes. about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. He basically codifies it here that you know, that, in, that in theory... Reinhardt will
1: probably run, like, a good government and there will be strong reform and... Just like,
0: right, like he recognizes that the inherent uh, advantage of an autocratic government is that dictatorships can advance. Yeah, they can advance reform in, in the government far faster than democracy, in theory, because there is no red tape, there's no bureaucracy, if your what word is law. Goes... Yeah, but then Yang also says, but, you know, that's that's great for now, but Reinhardt is not immortal, he is not some god-emperor figure, He'll die one day, or you know, someday someone will stab him in the back or overthrow him. And yeah. who comes after him? Are they yeah. going to be as fair and egalitarian and intelligent and skilled? And the answer is probably not.
1: Right, which is why he's okay with the empire existing. Is more okay with the empire existing as a separate entity that coexists with the FPA, right? Than them taking over everything.
0: Yes. It essentially gets to this idea that, yeah, of course the empire is bad, but, like, it's bad in the sense of, like, it's bad because of the fundamental type of government it is and how, in many ways, what we're watching right now, like, what we're watching right now is, you know, the reason why it's so easy to dump on the FPA is because we are watching a democracy at its lowest point point, yeah, and an autocracy at its highest
1: point. I mean, even Yang has basically admitted that right... Its current in its current state right now, the empire is broadly better off than the yeah. FAA.
0: But you know, Yang, ever the historian, also kind of correctly <laughs> surmises that like, in the long run, in the span of centuries, is will it always be the best thing for the people? And he surmises that probably not. You know, like right now, yes, the the ostensibly democratic FPA is far worse a place to live in, but once you average things out across centuries, you know, you know, the, 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 fundamental idea is that, Hey, a democracy sucks now, but theoretically you can vote in a better democracy, uh, a bad dictatorship. You know, there's, there's only one way to get rid of a bad <laughs>
1: dictatorship and, uh, the guillotines.
0: yeah, yeah, basically.
1: I know, also want to highlight, uh, course. two other things from the segment, Young saying, if only Kirky Eyes were here.
0: <laughs> yes, this is uh, this is the beginning a of a refrain. trend. Yeah, a common refrain we begin to see, especially in these three episodes. They've said it earlier before, but I would say it is this trio of episodes where we really start to recognize that a lot of characters begin to talk about how, man, if only Kirky Eyes were here, if only Kirky Eyes were here, this situation would be so much different. If only Kerky eyes were here, maybe we could know peace. If Kerky eyes <laughs> were here, been
1: a bridge between that and the Empire. Yes.
0: If Kerky eyes were here, he would he would speak to Reinhard.
1: You know, it's it's just <laughs> he would he would vouch for
0: coexistence. Yes, yes, and I mean the sad truth is, you know, it's, it's, probably, it's probably not, not wrong. wrong. You know, yeah. like you know, eyes was. Kirkiaz was the best the Empire had. Like, frankly, I I, I do yeah. love a lot of the Empire cast now, but I love them in the way that I love fictional characters. You know, like, they're flawed but interesting. Whereas Kirkiaz, you know, he was one of the good ones. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just, uh,
0: we lost yeah, him too soon.
1: Uh, indeed.
0: But uh, anyways. The second,
1: the second thing I wanted to highlight yes. is this line. It's clearly bad, both politically and morally, to kill a seven year old.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm glad you uh you 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 uh you remembered that because yes, uh you know, Young just, you know, kinda hitting us all with the basic facts of life, you know, the wisdom that we all should try to strive to live to.
1: Don't kill kids.
0: Don't kill kids.
1: It's bad on
0: every account. Ten year olds count as kids. (laughs) Sorry. They do. Like sorry dog, I don't I don't care I don't care what your government is run like or what your age of consent is or how, how early people can vote. <laughs> don't kill kids. It's real bad. It's a bad look. Uh, Man, uh, back
1: to alone.
0: Yes. <laughs> like, um,
1: everyone's still lunching and fighting away. Like, yes.
0: Uh, uh, we get some, we get some, uh, well... Okay, it's maybe pop. you you're gonna have to help me here because yes, I, I my it's note here Poplin. just says Poplin, you're all right, but yeah. I have no clue what that applies right. to. Uh,
1: Julian getting goes to get an elevator to head to the hangar, and Poplin runs in and at the oh, last second.
0: Oh yes, yes, okay. Half
1: naked, yes. pulling his clothes <laughs> on.
0: Right now, I remember
1: because he was uh, having some fun with the ladies of his alone.
0: Look, he's man. Here.
1: You never know when you're gonna, you know, fall in battle. I guess.
0: Yeah, when every day's your last, you know, you gotta, you gotta live it up, man.
1: Yeah, uh, then, but yes, uh, as as they launch with this pretty decent launch, launch sequence.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we we get, some, we get some, we get some, we get that good old like battle of armlets or tier um, animation bump, where all of a sudden Space you know battles. everything's looking way better.
1: Yep, Poplin uh, drops advice to uh, think of the pretty girl you have a thing for and and her smiling face and then god will get jealous and abandon you and you'll be protected (laughs) by the devil's own luck
0: yes yes he's basically like do not do not think of nation do not think of country like that's all bullshit just think think about the lovely bosom waiting for you after the battle and you know what (laughs) you know Uh, like poplin may be kind of a charlatan and a perv but also dude is all right uh, you know it's it's the kind of frank realness that's up there with, you know, Yang's speech about how this is, you this know. a pointless battle. This is a pointless battle, like a a pointless battle. battle. <laughs> yes. Like, this is a worthless battle to die in. But, uh. Yeah, Charles so. Shenkop's
1: uh, ordering custom coffee.
0: Right. Meanwhile, Shenkop is ordering his last coffee. Or what he constantly seems to be implying is his last coffee.
1: <laughs>
0: which, Even if
1: uh, I, die, I don't want to compromise on women or coffee. yes. Yes. Says. <laughs>
0: You know, if that's if that's what they put eventually on his gravestone, it's not the worst. Uh, it's not sure. the worst epitaph to have. You know, don't compromise on women and coffee. That's uh, a lot, sure. lot. A lot of good wisdom being dropped by the <laughs> FPA this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, Murkatz approaches Kazanu and asks to be given command of the fleet.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, we kind of get a good moment here where he's talking with uh, with uh, Shenkop and Dusty. And, uh, you know, kind of be like, look, I'm, I know y'all know who I am. Like, let's not like, let's not, let's not, you know, be cute about it here. But also I don't want the, I don't want to die any more than you guys do. So, right, <laughs> you know, uh, trust me. All right. And, you know, you get that kind of, you know, that good line from dusty. That's like, I trust right. the young. I believe the, I believe in the young that believes in Mercats basically. <laughs> yeah. No, don't believe in don't believe in yourself. Believe in the me that believes in Burkettz.
1: Indeed. I Meanwhile, uh, while the uh, FPA is kind of struggling to uh, keep keep afloat in this current situation. Yeah. Kemp and Mueller are. Kemp is, is excited, saying, "Now nah, maybe we could rename this to the Geiersburg Corridor, or the Kemp Mueller can- Corridor." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, uh, Kev, uh, I I. Uh, I appreciate his optimism if, you know, if, if even as we would, you know, begin to find out later, it would perhaps be better to describe his arrogance, but, you know.
1: Yeah, and, uh,
0: Just, Mueller
1: uh, is, uh, his, his fleet is driven away by Murkats.
0: Yeah, basically, uh, what happened is, is this the, yes, yes, this is what happened. So Mueller takes a fleet to, uh, to take on uh, you know, to to kind of what he believes to be the killing blow on Izarloon, right? Because right. he is the vice commander of this operation. Kempf actually is the one who holds operational authority, mm-hmm. but Mueller kind of gets it into his head that oh, if I if I strike now on their weak points, like I can be the one who takes out Izarloon. It's it's gonna. It, they're not gonna call it the Kempf Mueller corridor. They're gonna call it the Mueller Kempf corridor. <laughs> And so Mueller kinda goes in and right, so this is where Mercatz comes out with the fleet.
1: Right. And Mueller's like uh, he's like he he realizes the, the trap or whatever, but then psychs himself out <laughs> because he's like oh, Kemp said yeah, Yang Lee is a like strange, mysterious man with odd <laughs> yes. tactics. I better not do that. This is just what they want me to do.
0: <laughs> right, right. He dupes himself into falling into their trap which continues right. the amazing like, grand tradition of empire commanders <laughs> sorry empire commanders just wigging themselves out because of their fear of young wen li and yeah. his duplicitous plots
1: basically ends up with uh flee on one side and either gun turrets on the other Right, Just
0: and gets uh, real, real messed up here. Um, before all of that, though, I actually did want to bring up real, real briefly because speaking of really cool sci-fi space age military tactics, we kind of get this great moment where Mueller is attacking the back because he's like, "Oh, like they won't, they won't move, uh, they won't dare move uh, Isolone's main cannon towards me. Like they have to keep it pointed at Geyersberg. Because you know it's kind of a game of right, chicken.
1: All they, oh, they also think it's still submerged,
0: right? But then all of a sudden, the beam comes out, and not only does it come out, but it's refracting around the like gravital... curvature, like, yeah. right? The curvature of Ezerlohn, and
1: so, yeah, we I finally got this thing operational, but it's only shoots at this weird angle.
0: <laughs> right, right. Basically, they find a way to refract the beam of of the Thor hammer to still hit behind it
1: I don't know if it and, was on purpose like so much mm-hmm. as a desperate maneuver
0: right but and that's kind of what I love about it right is yeah you know we kind we you know we might as well just get into it now because you know basically with uh Mueller kind of getting busted up uh kev sends in a fleet to to bail him out and they rescue Mueller but you know yeah You can kind of already see an interesting element here, where you know the FPA is very united in their cause to to not not get to not get fucking killed. Whereas the Empire is actually starting to fragment a little bit here in their leadership. You know, you can kind of start to see Mueller shafe a little bit under Kemp's command,
1: and uh, even some subordinates are like are are noticing it. Kemp wants to hurry up and. Capture it uh, to, to lessen the gap between him, Miramar, and Royenthal.
0: Right. Like, there's this. There's an. A fan, like, there's a. There's, there's this really fascinating element of like, yes, the Empire has the clear advantage in this battle, but what is maybe actually making the difference is that the FBA leadership is really unified, and and some of that is actually because Yang assembled such a such a good and talented group of people. Like, yes, we always talk about Yang Wenli, magician Yang, miracle Yang. He's always the one kind of pulling everybody out of the fire, but a lot of his great accomplishments are because he surrounds himself. You know, he doesn't have his Mittermeiers and Royanthals and Obersteins and Bittenfields, you know, and such, but he has a talented group of people. And even without him, they're making do in a way that I really liked in this episode.
1: Yeah, even, even as you said, like, um, Dusty Attenborough, just from that line, he clearly doesn't trust mercats all the way, but is willing to, you know, let him take command.
0: Yeah, because he recognizes that, well, it's not going to do us any good if I just argue for 30 minutes against Murkatz. Like, we, we need this dude in that fleet, and we need him to be busting their shit up as soon as possible, regardless of my feelings on the matter. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a fun or interesting comparison with the Empire, where, you know, in Season 1, because it was so much about Reinhardt and Kirky Eyes, we were kind of given this illusion that, oh, Reinhardt has this really iron grip on his commanders. But what we're beginning to find out in Season 2 as they get more and more developed is they're not nearly as unified as they appear.
1: Yeah, they're kind of all competing for favor.
0: Right, like, and this is maybe one of those, like, very subtle... Uh, illustrations of the weakness of an autocracy is that when there is one person at the top, when you only have one boss, that also means you're competing with everybody else to impress that one boss. <laughs> and you know, there's a very like, there's a very like, there's a very appreciable awareness in uh, Reinhardt's leadership. You know, where everybody. Like, nobody, nobody's acting cute about it. Everybody knows Mittermeier and Reinfeld are the top dogs amongst the Admirals. Everybody knows this. Yeah. And everybody knows there's still a, you know, there's still a hierarchy throughout the rest of it, right? Like, Binfield took a huge blow to his standing because of Armletzer, whereas, you know, Kemp hasn't really had a chance to distinguish himself. And then Mueller's even below him because he's, like, the newest addition. So yeah. you kind of have this fascinating, you know, power play that, makes you realize oh yeah like yes they're all broadly un- they're all broadly unified in the way that Reinhardt wants them to because you know as he said in you know the prior episodes wars unite people but in a way is because they hold the advantage
1: yeah I mean yeah, actually, uh, exactly as he said having a common enemy
0: <laughs> yeah
1: bring people together
0: yeah but uh, in a weird way because they have the sh- the, the clear advantage in a they way there's yeah, they're complacent and maybe not as psychologically prepared for this battle in, this, in the way the FPA are. And, you know, I apologize to our listeners. I sometimes go on these weird historical-slash-tactical-warfare tangents. i telling but, you it was
1: the best part.
0: <laughs> but this is kind of a... The reason why I really like this episode is because it's a fantastic siege episode. It's something that's almost entirely unheard of in anime, to be honest is a a really really good portrayal of a siege um sieges are not to get too military nerd here but sieges are kind of my favorite kind of battle to read about because they are so dramatic and there are just so many factors that play into them like you know maybe you know you've read the you know sun tzu's art of war and heard the old chestnut like you know don't don't besiege an enemy fortress unless you have at least a three or five to one advantage. And there's a lot of reasons for that beyond just, Oh, it's because the defenders are holed up at fortress. I mean, that is true, but (laughs) there are a lot of really fascinating, the, the really fascinating aspect of a siege. And, you know, we'll use this battle to kind of illustrate that is the motivations of each side. You know, for example, the FPA their motivation is to survive. This is a very unifying motivation. <laughs> you you can read throughout history that oftentimes a lot of sieges succeed not because, oh, they had the better men or better training, but just they held out. They, were, they had more grit, and that's often because their motivation is a lot more tangible. Victory is victory. Victories are good. Everybody wants to win battles, but
1: everyone wants to live more than that.
0: Yes, you know, when when the enemy is knocking at your door, they got a they ha- they have a gun that's slightly smaller than yours but still extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. You 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 put aside your differences quick and you start sharing all of your ideas because you don't care about glory. You don't care about what happens after this battle because you don't even know if there's going to be an after this battle. Yeah. And and so you're kind of caught in the situation of like Alright, like, we gotta hold out. How do we do that? Everybody give us your best ideas. Like, everybody, like, everybody give it. everybody, everybody has to write something on the chalkboard. Like, I don't care how stupid your idea is, everybody has to at least contribute something to the board. And, even if that idea is, oh, we're gonna shoot the Thor hammer around Izzelone's orbit because, like, we'll refract the beams off of its gravitational pull. way we can shoot it. Like, you're still gonna try it because... Yeah. Motherfucker, do you got any other better ideas? (laughs) (laughs) Whereas the attackers are kind of in a... a, You know, attackers are generally in the quote-unquote advantaged position, but they have their own worries. You know, they... Cracking a fortress, especially one like Izzerlone, is not easy. Yeah, is
1: fully self-sufficient, as we've been told.
0: Not only that, but... Every self-respecting commander knows that a siege can't last forever. Because... It's almost entirely impossible to completely cut off a besieged fortress. Uh, inevitably, uh, the ones that are being besieged will get the message out to the rest of their nation, to the rest of their army. And the army will send reinforcements. And in a traditional siege... In a traditional uh, siege... You're
1: going to have to break them before the reinforcements arrive, because yes, then you are be yeah. dealing with... Uh... Attack on both sides. Right,
0: and not only that, but in a traditional siege, the defenders don't always just have to hide in their fortress. They can come out, and they can try to do damage, as we saw with Murcats. And in even more dramatic examples, they can sometimes try to break out past your lines. You know, the the responsibility right. of the one who is besieging is you have to surround the fortress. You have to cover every exit, every, every side of the battle. Whereas the one who's being besieged technically only has to focus on one part of it because their goal is just to break out or in the case of their hopeful reinforcements break in yeah. so while it might seem obvious that oh the ones who are attacking have the advantage they they have their own concerns and like you know we were talking about oh kef is kind of rushing into this battle but in a ways he has his own motivation for that as well you know the longer this battle takes the 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 higher the likelihood that young's going to get here and I mean he doesn't know that Young isn't there, but but reinforcements will be there. And yeah. that's not good for that's never good for, for for your side when that happens. So Yeah. I think in relation to that sorry folks, I'm I'm gonna keep going here just a little <laughs> bit longer. I'm sorry. We I promise we will get to episode thirty four in a couple minutes. Is that this battle, despite the adva- the uh the various advantages and disadvantages, they're it's actually a super even battle.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's a, one of the first only times this happened so far.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, you know, really satisfying to watch because think about like other anime or like, what is the most like disappointing fight to watch? It's usually like, oh, when one side just totally blows the other out of the water. It's it's not a fun fight to watch because there's no struggle. there's no There's no conflict. How can there be drama when one side clearly dominates the other, you know? Sometimes that could be fun to watch, you know. It's like junk food, right? It's sometimes fun to watch the hero just totally destroy the enemy effortlessly. But that's not that's not, well, that's, like, not that's not good yeah, TV, you know. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, what were we gonna say, hero? Yeah,
1: I was. Yeah, I was pretty much agreed. Um, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> but um, but yeah. When so it, when
1: it's when it's a good like climactic fight, you want there to be back and forth.
0: Yes, and I think that's what works really effectively here is it's kind of like real battles, right? Like, you know, again, in, in 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 history, battles don't tend to just be like, oh, side A crashed into side B and then they fought until one side lost. It's like, oh, side A tried this and then when side B counterattacked with this technique, then side A tried this tactic and that caught side B off guard long enough to blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what you see here with this uh, battle between Izerlone and Geiersberg. You know, first Geiersberg leads off with You know, kind of what would be your standard plan, A, land the dudes on the user loan, then side B responds by sending their own forces out and drive them back. Then, you know, Gearsberg, the Empire tries a new thing. A truly ingenious plan, honestly, like, fantastic tactic. You know, we're talking about the the gravity thing. And, you know, it's it's not like the FBA just fucking lie down and die. (laughs) <laughs> they they try things and their plans are desperate, but they have to try them because the alternative is what? Like giving up? So they react in turn. And it's that back and forth that I think makes a battle like this feel really compelling. Because unlike any of the other battles I feel we've watched in Legend of the Galactic Heroes up till now, this is the first one where I, I truly I do not follow. know. <laughs> Yeah. And and I don't I don't think we were truly uh sure which side was gonna come out, you know, in the end of, for this one, you know? Right. But uh yeah, yeah so to kinda just continue that you know that, that tangent into uh the next episode, you know, where they kinda continue the battle.
1: Yeah, but uh um, Mueller's gotten gotten information out of a dying POW oh, yes, you. that young Winley is not present
0: <laughs>
1: as the Big Cliffhanger in episode thirty three.
0: Yes, Mueller has
1: then the very start of 34 is like uh, it's so good. is the Hyperion still there. Yeah, and also a POW told us that they were told to tell us the Youngwind Lee's not here to confuse to trick us. us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so we find out that Shenkov's plan is just the glorious I know that you know that I know that you know that I know, etc. It's <laughs> just psych them out. Just psych them out, make them second guess themselves. And the thing is like Funnily enough, Mueller and Chef do eventually arrive at the correct conclusion that...
1: Well, it's like, M- y- Mueller decides, y- Young Winley's probably not there, I need to send my fleets out to capture the inevitable reinforcements when he does arrive. Yes. And uh, Kemp is like, why are you removing all of your fleets away from the battle? And right, bring them right, back? yes. And uh, Mueller, you know, cedes to Kemp's authority.
0: Yeah, yeah, but he's not happy about it, but he does. And, uh, right, that's then when they discuss, uh, the, the, the Yang question. Uh, Schrodinger, Schrodinger's Yang, you know. Uh, if you do not open this Iserloan box, Yang is both there and not there <laughs> at the same time. But once you open up Iserloan, you discover Yang was actually there, and it was part of his dubious plan the whole time, or that Yang wasn't there, and you fooled yourself.
1: Well, you see, uh, Yongwin Lee doesn't look at all like a soldier, and in that lies his dreadful power.
0: <laughs> yes, the fantastic line about Yong's dreadful power.
1: <laughs> you don't know what kind of weird tricks he's gonna use. Maybe yeah. he's there, maybe he's not. He's probably there and just trying to trick us.
0: Yeah, who, who has the better tagline now between dreadful Yong and uh, <laughs> the living work of art that is Reinhard von Lohengramm? Uh... They just, these guys just, just keep piling on good titles. <laughs> yeah
1: uh, But uh, we also get a bit of vampire where uh, Reinhardt is sending Medammarr and Royenthal off to be reinforcements.: Yes.
0: I mean, I think he kind of correctly surmises that uh, from Kemp's message, uh, to go back real quick, uh, Kemp right. tells the messengers to send out just a message, uh, just one sentence, and it is we currently hold the advantage.
1: Right,
0: and uh, Reinhard kind of says it all. <laughs> yeah, kind of says it all, which is that Reinhard kind of correctly surmises that Kemp is broadly winning, but if That's he were actually broad, winning, yeah. if he was actually winning this fight, he would be saying a lot more. So, yeah. you know, and uh, they kind of, uh, if uh, funnily enough, uh, Reinhardt and uh, Yang independently <laughs> arrived at the yeah. conclusion. That, the
1: best uh, way to win this battle would have just been to ram Geisberg into Ezerlone and right. destroy both. Yes,
0: because the the point of this is like, well, why would you do that? They'll both get destroyed. But the point isn't that they'll both get destroyed. The point is that Ezerlone will be gone. <laughs> Ezerlone will be gone, and with it, the FPA's only advantage. Like, right. in terms of manpower, fleet power, and command structure... The Empire is superior by every metric. This Empire would win every conventional battle. The only thing stopping them is Izerlone. And so both Young and Reinhardt kind of correctly guess that actually, if your long-term goal is to destroy the FPA, it's totally fine to take a shot on the nose right now. You know, sure, lose Giersberg, lose some men. But, you know, whereas like in this hypothetical situation where they kind of mutually kill each other, the Empire's only taking a shot to the nose whereas, you know, at the same time you're like breaking the FPA's legs in the same in the same blow, so yeah, you know, one of those two can keep fighting, but they kind of luck out because Kemsa, you know, as we as, as we've kind of surmised, he's a pretty traditional man. guy. He wants to win this, you know, the the, the proper way. You know. Yeah. But uh and in many ways, that you know, we begin to realize that this maybe is the beginning of his undoing. Um,
1: Meanwhile, Fazan, the FPA like politician guy.
0: Yes, uh, is, I, we keep forgetting his name, but the one that is the, the guy who isn't Rubinsky, but does all of Rubinsky's, you know, work for him.
1: Oh, okay, is, uh, I have a screenshot here. Commissioner Henslow. Henslow I, he, okay. I believe he is the like liaison to Fazan. Uh, oh, you're talking about the FPA guy. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Fazan basically calls out Henslow and the FPA as a halt, as a whole, on their idiocy to uh, to drag Young away from alone at the most crucial moments.
1: Right. He's like, ah, oh, why, why, why did you do that? The not going on a door. And I'm like, well, we didn't say you had to. Right. We just it's your own fault. You know, we whispered just it
0: into your ears, and you fell it. for it. Ugh. And then, as if. As if the FBA could not be more stupid after literally being tricked into mistrusting Yang, get subsequently tricked again into mistrusting yeah. Yang <laughs> when kind of and, and it's like, do you are you Are you children? Are you goldfish? Do you not have like do you not have any long-term or even short-term memory? Like, literally, this happens in the same conversation. In the same conversation where Henslow is saying, Hey, why'd you trick us into dragging Young away from Mizu alone? He also gets tricked into, Huh, hmm. Young Aww. might be up to no good. You're right, Fezon guy. It's like, w- 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 What? <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> it's ridiculous. Pretty silly.
0: Like, I, I get it, right? Like, the FBA is a fascinating look into, like,. How? What are the weaknesses of democracy? Why? Why and how can democracies fall? And like, why do politicians and why do people in power make these selfish and like stupid and, sh- and short-sighted uh, choices they do? And like that, I feel is a very important aspect of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. But this just feels like willful stupidity. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I I, can't, I cannot even begin to understand the logic of. Henslow, or the FPA as a whole at this point.
1: <sighs> yeah. But, uh... But Young's getting close to Ezelone Yes, And, yes. uh... Setting up his plans. Indeed. That, that hopefully, uh... If, if all goes well, he, uh, his his the fleet that he is bringing and, uh, Isolone's fleet will be able to kind of pincer attack yes. the Empire's fleet.
0: Right, so basically, kind of like what we were just talking about, you know, earlier in the podcast, but the perfect situation for a siege, for the side being besieged, is basically, this is tough to coordinate in the era before telecommunications, but the idea is basically, you pincer attack the the besiegers with both the reinforcements and the garrison, basically coming at them from both sides, and... That's basically what the FPA is relying on, whereas yeah. the uh, the Empire kind of also kind of approaches this with a pretty traditional, kind of very textbook way of dealing with sieges, which is um, their plan is to trick the Ezerlon fleet into attacking, and then kind of overwhelming them with superior force, kind of uh, kind of kind of you know kind of cowing them into hiding back in Ezerlon.
1: Right, which will give them, which will give the Empire. Like, time
0: to uh, turn around yeah. yes to deal with the reinforcements. This is kind of a very traditional way of dealing with sieges. It's you know, it's 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 uh it actually does take a, a pretty good commander to pull this off in the era before telecommunications because you basically have to beat your first opponent so quickly that you have time to turn around and beat the second opponent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh it's uh it's a it's a pretty good plan, but uh unfortunately for Kempf, uh, Izerlone has found itself a new tactical genius.
1: Right. Uh, everyone's sitting in the command room, and Julian's just, like, bringing everyone their coffee, and also being like, hey, it's probably a trap. Allow me to explain the, like, exact situation that we're in. Right.
0: <laughs> and he, he... Fucking damn, Julian! Damn, Julian! There's,
1: there's this like, great line where uh, they're like, uh, before he was a student of Shenkop or Poplin, he was a student of Yang Wenli.
0: Yes, and, yeah, and like it's like, if, yeah, go ahead.
1: He's like the becoming the strongest out of all of them.
0: I kind of love right?
1: it. Like, I kind of if, love if that <laughs> these are lone's people. were the digi-destined Julian would be TK. Oh, okay. I'm I was saying. gonna say.
0: I was gonna say is Julian the Gohan of Legend of the Galactic ah! Hero. <laughs> Like he's the young kid with untapped potential that'll one day surpass all of us until Legend of the Galactic Hero super comes out. but uh yeah, just uh, damn Julian like fucking hell, yeah, like I kind of love that he's a good kid. like Julian is not only a good kid. maybe he's actually the best kid, but also he's becoming this like really well rounded individual like
1: right gone out in a ship and shot a bunch of guys down and also hanging out on the bridge, giving tactical advice.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, like Julian is kind of like, you know, in a way, is he's kind of, you know, you know, he's, a, he's becoming a crack shot with the gun, he's becoming a great pilot, and he's starting to pick up on, you know, Yang's tactics. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think Julian will ever necessarily become the tactical genius that that Yang was, but also Yang was hella min-maxed, you know? Right. Yang put all of his points into tactics and strategy. <laughs> and like zero points into self care, zero yeah. points into marksmanship, zero points to self preservation, zero uh, points into alcohol tolerance, like,
1: <laughs>
0: like. Whereas Julian, well, the Dueling, only way I feel you can like,
1: keep up is by the buffs he gets from drinking alcohol all the time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so uh,
0: you
1: keep those buffs applied on a regular uh, basis. Yes,
0: totally, totally. Yeah, you know, uh, Young actually he dual class. He took a level in Drunken Master, but <laughs> uh, he applies the buffs from the Drunken Master class to the Tactician class. It's yeah, uh, indeed. it's pretty unorthodox build, but uh, as we've seen here, it's really getting some get, results. Get results. And uh, yeah. you know, I think the uh, I think the mod team is probably going to address it in the next patch. But for now, you know, if you're uh, if you're a new player and it's you're looking well. for the most meta strategy, you know, it's you're gonna to want to you're going to want to multi-class one level into a drunken master and then all your other levels into a tactician. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, it's kind of like Julian's become this like well-rounded kind of, kind of, you know, kind of soup, you know, kind of, of, he's kind of becoming the, you know,
1: uh, like we were joking that he's Luke Skywalker of legend. Yeah. Yeah. He's rapidly becoming (laughs) almost a, his own protagonist. Yeah, he's kind
0: of becoming the protagonist of his own story. You know, he's a—you he, could right. say he kind of maybe already is his own anime protagonist. You know, of of yeah. uh, of another Legend of the Galactic Heroes anime that we just yeah. aren't watching.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> just <laughs> uh, occasionally uh, serving young tea.
0: Yes, yes. You know, uh, we we had this thought. We. We had this thought while watching, uh, I, I'm gonna give credit to uh, fellow Gloria member Jell for coming up with this one, but uh Is Julian secretly the protagonist of his own Slice of Life harem anime set on Easterload?
1: Totally. I could, totale, between... I could I could see it now, like Easterloan <laughs> inside city area. Yes. You know, you just got your Tokamaki memorial set up of <laughs> Julian. Having to balance balances multiple stats, uh, yes, while also dating girls and duties yeah, as a pilot. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it would be the perfect spinoff for the modern otaku audiences. You could have a
1: uh, just like to it, Heroes dating sim.
0: Yeah, yeah, you could have a uh, you could have like you know you would have like the tomboyish pilot who secretly likes girly stuff.
1: The flowers of alone
0: Yeah, <laughs> the flowers of Easterlone. <laughs> yeah, you know you could have like. <laughs> You know, you could have, like, the shy, bookish adjutant who, like, uh, Julian helps come out of her shell. You could have, like, the local girl who runs the yeah, bookshop. So,
1: some just but, have to be uh, civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have, like, like,
0: a civilian who runs a bookshop but is is secretly an imperial spy sent to seduce Julian. Uh,
1: the, cra- but, uh, the crazy scientist who uh, help uh, run the hydroponics farm. Yes, yes.
0: But, but Julian's raw animal magnetism is too much. <laughs> and she genuinely falls in love with him. You know, it's 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 perfect. You could <laughs> you could like get cameos from all your favorite characters like Poplin and Louis Washingko.
1: Oh Yeah. <laughs>
0: sure. Yeah, and then like of course if you beat all if you get the best <laughs> ending
1: Who's the guy who who's the guy who tells you your love stats with each of the girls?
0: Oh man. That I guess it would have to be Poplin, right?
1: Yeah, I suppose so.
0: Like Poplin being the lech he is be like, hmm, well when looking at Yeah, like I got deets on all the ladies. (laughs) Oh man. And then would it be the case of like if you beat all of the routes and you get the best ending with all the girls, you unlock the taboo, forbidden hidden ending with Wen (laughs) Lee? No, look, man i'm not I'm not defending. It. I'm just saying that. Look, Fuj- Fujoshi are you know they're into some shit. And
1: if anyone, it would be Frederick. Oh.
0: No, that doesn't feel right. See, that's even worse. I can't even believe you suggested that.
1: Yeah, that that's the type of shit it would actually be in a dating sim.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I I'm still I'm still you saying know, I'm it writing. would be yeah, but that's why I'm saying it would be the you know it would be the don't don't most dating sims have like a joke route with a with a male character like
1: you know you. uh... I mean, Tokubaki Memorial does, and then it re- they reveal that he was actually a lady all along!
0: Oh, well, I don't know they can really do that with Yang Wen Li. Look, I I'm mean, not, that was a, yeah. look, I'm not saying it would be a good or healthy or legal romance. What I'm saying is that it would be hot and steamy and forbidden, <laughs> and you know that's what the people like. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, maybe you're right. You know, yeah, Yang Wenli saying some horrible lines like, "I want to drink more than just your wine, Julian."
1: You know, you know the, the secret route is he finds that the Kirky eyes actually survived, but has amnesia.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh shit! I can't <laughs> believe I didn't even. Yes. All right. Yeah. Totally. The the. Oh man, the secret circ- the secret Kirky eyes route. Of course. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Uh of course yes he doesn't
1: remember anything no no but... he,
0: just, he just he washed up on on the liquid metal shores of easer one day <laughs> and didn't remember who he was so now he's working as a he, he's working as a humble uh you know it, you know what perfect he's working as the humble assistant to the bookshop girl who's secretly an imperial spy <laughs> but like you never see him for most of the game, right? Because he's an assist he he, he works in the back.
1: He's a side he's, character minor he, character. He
0: he works in the stock room. He he stalks the shelves. So you constantly get like well, lines. Well the thing is
1: you have to you have to talk you have to talk to him every time you visit the book girl, but you don't see his portrait ever. Yeah, That's yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, right? Because every time you go to the like, every time you go to the bookshelf
1: right. Right, you're like, like Oh, the- is is what's your name in? Yeah, Talk yeah,
0: yeah. A because right, because some, right, some characters in in, in dating sims don't have portraits because they usually don't matter enough, right? You, uh, you but, about,
1: but if you get the secret relationship values high enough, right? It reveals that it's portraits. Portrait yeah,
0: yeah, and it's like, right? It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. It's literally perfect. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Uh, meanwhile, oh my god. because yeah. of because of Julian's advice.
0: We uh we we here at the Glorio blog at the Glorio Network are happy to announce that we will be opening up our Kickstarter for the uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes Julian Dating Sim. Yeah, flowers uh we will uh we will begin uh, we will begin with tiers starting at one dollar, where you will get a thank you in the credits. At five dollars you will get a steamy but safer work wallpaper, and those of you paying twenty dollars will get a digital copy of the game. Plus a, uh, a a a digital PDF of the concept art. Uh, coming <sighs> soon. Coming soon.
1: <laughs> so, uh, speaking of Julian, <laughs> yeah, his advice. Murketh uh, takes him on the on to the Hyperion. Yeah, and uh, they uh, <clears throat> follow uh, his advice, and as Kemp turns around to go fight the uh, reinforcements. Um, the if Islerloan if garrison comes out and gets them from behind.
0: Yeah, it's it's a perfect takes it's, them a, out. it's a perfect pincer plan, you know. Uh and, and, and in a lot of ways it works specifically because there's this great like unspoken cooperation be- between Yang's fleet and the Isralone fleet. Like it's like they're operating you yeah. know, it's like they're in the fucking dr- Pacific rim drift or some shit. Like I mean I think Young literally like says out Yang's, loud like right. Like I hope yeah. Julian remembered my teachings about this highly specific tactical
1: situation. <laughs> uh, no, I never wanted him to become a soldier. Right, but it works
0: fantastically. You know, we see a, uh, we see Yang rushing in from the front where he activates formation D, formation where D. uh, turns out the D stands for donut
1: because yeah, yep. that's literally the shape um, this
0: formation takes.
1: Right. It's so like he's actually doing pretty well but even before uh, the Iserlone Garrison shows yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I like... mean, well, that's
0: the thing, right? Even at a numerical disadvantage, it definitely feels like Yang, you know, Yang didn't go into this battle. Yang is never the kind of dude who goes into a battle with only one plan, you know? Like, he right. probably goes into that battle doing Formation D, hoping that, like, it'll deal a nasty blow to the Empire yeah. and that hopefully the Iserlone fleet will pick up on it. But, you know, I guess come it to work Formation,
1: or... formation Donut works because. Yeah. Of what was that? what has been stated about the Euzelon corridor that venturing into certain areas is not safe. Uh, yeah, basically
0: there's completely like untraversable space, you know, in in the Euzelon corridor. Right. And not so that we've ever seen it, uh, um, know what it looks like, or even know what it does to ships. In D, in D-, but,
1: in D- in D&T it just looks like this crazy nebula right. tunnel. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah,
0: so basically, Yang does this fantastic like like a donut standing up formation where he basically stretches his fleet around the very perimeter of the Isralone corridor and then fires inwards on Kemp's fleet. And like, you know, Kemp like yeah, like literally the first thing Kemp says is like is a very like again. right. Like here's the thing I don't want to like I don't want to poo-poo on Kemp too much. Like I I have fun dunking on Bittenfield because Bittenfield is a dumbass. I mean he's a dumbass (laughs) who like has really good disses, but he's still a dumbass. Whereas, right. like, Kemp strikes me as a dude who's like, yeah, he's by the book and he's straightforward, but he's not a bad leader. He's not a bad tactician. It's just that, like, when he gets caught by the donut formation, he does, like, the, the first textbook thing you would do in this situation, which is go around. Turn around. Like, yeah. turn around and surround the donut with our own donut, essentially. But they can't because Yang has so expertly utilized the specific, like, physical constraints of the Israel Corridor to uh, to trap yep. Kemp, And then he's getting... You know, as a as one Chuck Tingle might say, getting pounded in the butt by uh, the user load <laughs> fleet.
1: Uh, you know, yeah, pounded in like, the butt well, by the user
0: load fleet. The next Chuck Tingle.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, no. yeah. I'm surprised he worked out that licensing deal with Yoshiki Tanaka. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's okay, I'm looking forward to it. Somebody should tweet that to Chuck Tingle. Maybe <laughs> turn this into a reality. <laughs>
1: Uh, Anyways, uh, yes. Yeah, so,
0: so yeah, it's it's totally caught Kemp off guard and uh,
1: can't break through forward. Can't turn around. Right. So, and
0: here's the thing I kind of actually like about Kev is that he, look, he's not the smartest tactician, but he never gives up. And I think that's actually the mark of like a truly good leader in in a battle. Like, like even when he's caught in the donut formation, even when he's getting pounded in the butt, like. He, then he does the next best thing, right? He says, break through. We'll break through right... All, we'll, we'll break through all the way to fucking Hineson, right? Like, right. if we can break through past um Young's the first fleet... First time
1: anyone's broken...
0: Yeah. You know. Like, because guess what? They only have the first fleet back at, at, yeah. uh, at Hineson, and, you know, right. yes, as, as they so constantly like to remind Young, they don't have the Artemis necklace anymore, so... In a ways, yeah, there was almost a shot there where maybe Kemp had enough fleet remaining. He Maybe could have, uh, put up a yeah, fight. but, uh...
1: And he, his like, basically his dying orders orders Geyersberg to ram alone.
0: Right, so... Essentially, uh... Kemp realizes a little bit too late, however, that, actually, oh wait, no, this isn't working. We're getting the shit pounded out of us. I should have just crashed Geiersberg into Iserloan.
1: Yeah. so uh, there's a bunch of crazy, like, Sequences of, of like people, park, like, yeah like troops, like the... blowing up and trying to evacuate. Yeah, well, well, people here's like, the thing. No, I, I get on well, the
0: ship before. Well, it's before that. I kind of actually like this one because at there's actually a very good contrast. Right at first, the evacuation is pretty orderly. I feel like, like in the beginning, right yeah. when it's just hey, everybody, we got to get out of Geyersburg. We're we're crashing, we're crashing this into Isolation with no survivors. You know, like, but
1: right. then. All hands evacuate.
0: But then Yang's like... I mean, Yang literally pulls some fucking Yu-Gi-Oh shit. He's like, <laughs> yes, you tried to crash Gearsberg and Ezerlone. You activated my trap card. Right. And his trap card is having Ezerlone and the entire fleet aim all of their cannons, all their lasers... At one side. <laughs> at one side, where he has successfully somehow, I guess maybe thanks to Mercats, identified the like navigational computer... Like the navigational. No, I, th- like... I think
1: it's literally like he blows up some of the engines so that the turn. The, oh, oh the I mean, he does applied... do the turn thing, but
0: I thought he was specifically aiming for like a, a navigational thing.
1: <laughs> the navigational thing being engines will provide thrust.
0: Yeah, sure. I don't know. I thought I thought he was like aiming. I mean, I mean, not only was he hitting it on the side, but I thought he was doing it like also hitting a specific part of uh, Geiersburg. But, anyways, I digress. Yes, basically. <laughs> Fucking Yang fucking basically puts spin on the baseball that is Geiersberg
1: right? So that misses his load.
0: and then crashes into the Empire fleet, kind of utterly decimating
1: them. In, yep. and then we open fire with a Thor hammer
0: is kind of a is kind of a horrifying. <laughs> Spectacle, yes, because yes. Then here is where we get those scenes you were talking about, Euro. Right. Where then they get very panicked about trying to get off Geiersburg, where we get some real like real ratchet shit. Like
1: we get a scene of like combat knife and, severs. and just
0: slices a dude's hand off. Like I know, Not I know. You hold
1: on to the ship. We're taking off.
0: Right. Like I know. We have seen we have seen melee weapons in Legend of Galactic Heroes, and they are always very sharp, but there is just something surreal about watching a man like fucking calmly take out his knife and just cut clean through another man's arm. Like it's fucking nothing.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's
0: wild, but kind of just an illustration of like how poorly the evacuation is gone. And, you know, and you know, Yambi and Yon kind of does this with a heavy heart, but also like, Hey, it was either, either them or us. Yeah. And, what uh, else are you going to do? Completely routes the empire army.
1: Which, uh, and uh, uh, Euler just barely, survives. yes. You like break several ribs in an explosion, yes. but he lives.
0: Indeed, indeed. And so you know, kind of rest in peace, Kempf. You know, uh... yeah. We all kind of saw this coming from a hundred miles away the moment you introduced <laughs> us to your family. Indeed. But you know, I'll say this, you know, in your favor. I think, I think, considering the circumstances, like Kempf probably did the best with what he well. He did the best with A, what he had, and B, with the kind of like tactician he was. Like, yeah. I'd say Kev is kind of an example of like he's not brilliant, but he's competent. But against Yang Wenli, you know that's
1: yeah, it's uh, not enough. Euler from his hospital stretcher swears upon the great god Odin that one day he will break Yang Wenli's neck. One day, no matter how many years it takes, he Uh, will destroy Young Wen Li.
0: Kind of beginning the other... Another
1: another common refrain. The
0: other common refrain that we're starting to notice in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, which is various members of the Empire swearing a blood oath against Young Wen Li. And boy, those start adding up in these next couple of episodes.
1: Yep. But, uh... And the, the... The... the fleet that Yang brought with him foolishly charges off to chase right. the, the Empire remnants. Because,
0: because Yang Wenli's not ever allowed to just have a nice victory. Uh, parts of his fleet, like the ones he picked up on the way to Iserlone, splinter off, you know, in, in search of their own misguided glory. So, you know, just another day in the life of Admiral Yang Wenli.
1: Yeah. And, uh, which relates right in episode 35 which- Yeah. Yeah, opens with basically Mittermeier and Roenthal totally trashing uh, yeah, the yeah, fleet. fleet. Yes, yeah.
0: Like, they, they don't even literally need to talk about it. Just they get utterly yeah. fucking trashed.
1: You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, that that one asshole admiral dies. So
0: sure, yeah.
1: Sure, that's all.
0: Yeah, basically, just uh, uh just a bunch of bunch of Foolish. goddamn fools. Yeah.
1: Yep, But, but uh, uh
0: yeah. so we, re- we return to, uh, uh, was it Fizan at this point?
1: Yeah. After some like wrap up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: With Young, and such. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. I mean, so I see notes, a lot so. of my notes that says if only Kirky eyes were alive. Yeah. Yong says that. <laughs> oh, does he say it again? Yeah, of course he does. Yep.
1: How would this battle have gone if Kirk was still alive?
0: No, well, who could say? Who can say? But anyways, oh, yeah. yeah, so we return to Fazan where they talk about uh the FPA's excessive military spending. Thirty
1: percent of their in, GDP like, in two
0: thousand eighteen is a deeply uh, uncomfortable yeah. and familiar sounding refrain. But uh but yes, you know, we can basically sum this up as just Fazan gonna Fazan. They're gonna keep being shady as fuck
1: at all because we also find yeah, out yeah, new
0: thing, uh, we get a uh, maybe the most yeah, interesting power play I've ever seen from
1: incredibly bizarre conversation that new kind of comes Rubinsky. out of nowhere Yeah, like so Rain Rubinsky is talking with his aide Rupert and yes. uh, like freaking go over how the FP is falling apart and that Hilmer von Shaft is making increasingly ridiculous demands of Faison so how about we just jimmy up some documents to uh, make sure he gets sh- sacked?
0: Yeah, and basically. Rubin-
1: and Rubinsky is like, all right, good job. Uh, why don't you take tomorrow off? I believe it's the anniversary of your mother's death.
0: This is, I actually fine.
1: Which, A, is like... Yeah, like... <laughs> feels like Rubinsky being like, oh yeah, I, I have under you under such close like surveillance that I know such things.
0: Right. Like, FNB... then
1: be, is... <laughs> sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, you're kind of already getting into it. It's just basically like yeah. at first, it, at first blush, you might almost, if you were naive, you might almost think, oh, what a weird display of like a, a very Fizan way of displaying, you know, um, goodwill, goodwill to a fellow Fizani, like take the day <laughs> off. I heard your mom died yet tomorrow, you know, or, or that, you know, whatever. Hey,
1: like it's this weird, Almost shitty way of yeah. proving that you have dominance over this man, right? B. Adrian Rubinsky goes on to, to say that he knows this because Rupert is the bastard child of Adrian Rubinsky. Yep, which really kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh,
0: Fazan just never stops surprising us.
1: <laughs> really bizarre to have this happen yeah. all of a sudden. It's which then it's, like <laughs> brings up this conversation where Rupert uh <clears throat> wants to make sure that he was hired because of his strong abilities in uh right and not just his job prison. right
0: and uh I, you know. I think it's kind of a very, you know, I, it is totally out of nowhere, right? Like at least in the OVA, we don't know how it goes in the novels, but at least in the OVA, like it, there's not really any foreshadowing whatsoever. It's just like out of out of nowhere, fucking Rubinsky pulls a Luke, I am your father situation here. <laughs> but what I think this actually does, which I, what I think that the actually more important or interesting thing this does is finally show us a couple of cracks in Fizan that we have not yeah. seen up until now. Like we know about the disparity between the earth cult and Rubinsky but yeah. now we're starting to get a little bit of uh, of uh,
1: internal problems unrelated yeah. to any other faction
0: yeah and I think this is good like it's 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 what we've needed to see from Fazan where we basically re- find out that Rupert bleh, Rupert is definitely you know chafing a little bit under Rubinsky's you know leadership. But not only that, is uh determined to eventually prove that not only is he worthy of succeeding Rubinsky, but that he will succeed Rubinsky through any means necessary. Yeah. And Rubinsky being Rubinsky is yeah. obviously very aware of this. And how this plays out down the line is uh you know, just Legend of the to Heroes being the way it is lays lays down I'm yet <laughs> the foundations of yet another fascinating plot thread.
1: And they use this also to segue into Reinhard talking about power being transferred um, through uh, family lines versus being taken with your own hands. Right. Uh, yes, we
0: had a conversation that, yes, with Reinhardt explaining, you know, oh, you know, if, if somebody wants to take the power.
1: I hate, I hate blood dynasties. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, if somebody wants to backstab me, then they're welcome to try, basically. Which, oh, I don't yeah. know, Reinhardt, you... It's like,
1: it's like crazy death wish he has. Whereas, I don't know, you should gun. say that out
0: loud, Reinhardt. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that's how things are going things to are go, but when you just outright say stuff like, people are welcome to try and backstab me. It's know? like,
1: a, I mean, it's a power play, right? Like
0: Yeah, yeah. he's
1: So the living work of art that is Reinhardt von Lohengram <laughs> is insurmountable.
0: Indeed. But, um...
1: But also gets this report that Kemp lost 90% of his forces. Yeah, 90% of his forces. Not happy.
0: Which is, like, what they say is, like, 2 million men and 15,000 ships or something. It's... Something
1: like that. You know, maybe, I feel like this is the first time yeah. the Empire really gotten really lost a battle. Yeah, I feel like this,
0: Yeah, this is kind of the first, like, really, uh, big loss for the Empire. And, uh, you know, uh, Re- yeah, Reinhardt doesn't take it too well. He's, a we get a little bit of angry Reinhardt here, you know, kind of, a.
1: Throws his wine glass on the ground. Yes,
0: a brief glimpse into the kind of impulsive kind of side of Reinhardt we have not seen since the days of uh, Kirky Eyes. Yeah,
1: speaking of Kirky Eyes, though. Which
0: leads directly to Reinhardt talking to... <laughs> talking to Kirky <Kierkegaard>. <laughs> Eyes. Yeah, an imaginary Kirky Eyes. Yes,
1: an he, like he basically he like retreats into his office, like, thinks about how terrible the loss was, but also thinks about what, what, what would Kirky say? Yes. And he thinks that Kirk guys would tell them to not be so hard on the survivors. Yes. Cause they're loyal and useful men.
0: And, you know, just punishing them for failure is just only going to further uh, distance you from your, from your subordinates. And, yeah. you
1: know, it's, Which I thought this was really interesting actually, because yeah. like we've been talking the entire season so far, about how Reinhardt has gone, like, full-on, you know, Emperor Mask the entire time, but, like, which is not to say I condone certain actions that he's taken, but this is, I feel like this is the first glimpse we've gotten in season two that is, uh, in scare quotes, not all gone. Yeah, yet.
0: yeah, I you think... know what I mean? I think this is actually a really good scene, because it, it helps reinforce or remind us that... No, Reinhardt has actually, I mean... Yeah, I think, He's done some bad stuff, frankly, but... frankly, with killing the kids, I think he has already jumped off the slippery slope, but he has not fallen all the way down yet. Like, he is right. sliding down, but there is an aspect of him that I still remembers, like, Kirky Eyes would not want that, right? Like, yeah. there's that element that reminds him that, like, Kirky Eyes, of all the people I've ever known, Kirky Eyes would expect better from me. And... The fact that he still listens to that side I think is a uh, is an important uh, illustration of Reinhardt's character and the state he's in in season 2 that uh yeah he is it, you know let's never get it twisted right like Reinhard is morally becoming an increasingly worse person but he's not any less capable of a leader and yeah. he is still capable of doing what is right but uh
1: yeah and uh forgives Mueller and everything. Yeah. Saying, atone, atone for losing his battle by being victorious next time. It's so... Go, go recover. It's, it's so
0: fucking it, dramatic. It
1: like, feels I, really out of
0: character. It's so fucking dramatic. Not not the Reinhardt thing, but more like the whole Mueller sh- thing. It's oh, like, M-
1: M- Mueller goes this whole speech about how... He lost so many soldiers and is so disgraced and deserves death. Not
0: only that, but like he's on his hands and knees. He's got a bandage on his head, a fresh bandage. And, like, he's, like, kowtowing so hard, like, his wounds are opening up again. And he's, yes. like, bleeding from the wound. And, again, I fucking... To all, to all the fans out there to think that we dunk on the Empire a little too much, don't get it twisted. We fucking oh. love the Empire. And scenes like this are kind of why because... You would never get something this fucking melodramatic in the FPA. Like yeah. once, like once, freaking Reinhardt forgives Mueller, Mueller just collapses on the ground. Right. <laughs> like I like, was just like, it's, it's absurd. Like oh, that's the depth of 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 the loyalty Reinhard inspires in his men. They'll drag themselves half dead before him to to pledge their loyalty before collapsing. Yeah. Like, all right, we get it. Like, Mueller Mueller could have done this from a hospital bed. Like, in some <laughs> way, like, what I love about the Empire is that the Empire, like, not just in the sh- – not, not just in the terms of the way they're portrayed narratively, but I think even in the universe, the Empire cares deeply about theatrics. Like, yeah. it's an important aspect of their society. Like, you can't just, like – you can't just, you know – subtly ask a, a disgraced politician, a, a disgraced noble, to commit suicide oh, in the comfort gotta, of their own home. You gotta bring home. them the
1: poisoned wine. Uh, you gotta <laughs>
0: drag them into the hallway. You gotta give them the poisoned wine that's sitting on the purple cushion. And then, <laughs> when they don't drink it, you gotta punch them in the jaw and force it down their throat while everybody just kinda stands there and watches.
1: Watches, yep. <laughs> oh, man. Fucking,
0: uh. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Fucking I, it's I love great. it. And then yeah, we get a yeah. scene where Schaffes Reinhardt is, is like, yeah. Uh, or yeah, where Shaft is like, oh, yeah, it was all their fault. Fucking not mine.
1: Pl- they're like, hey, so Shaft, what the hell? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, my plan was perfect. It was salt for sucking. But basically.
0: Yeah. That's and, basically what I he mean, says. Here's the thing Shaft is full of shit, but also, like, by burnt technicality, Shaft did his part of the equation. He. He he made the he made Geiersberg warp like yeah he it's true did technically fulfill his job in this operation. Now blaming this all on Kevin Mueller is still really shitty behavior, and in the end he gets exactly what he deserves. But oh, yeah. I will just yeah, bring okay. up I'll just say briefly I feel like he's an asshole, but he's an asshole who's like kind of right technically in his Gee. defense of himself. He just does a very bad job of defending himself. Um, yeah. Also the charges of. Uh, of what embezzlement and corruption and bribery yeah. and uh, sharing of state ax- secrets,
1: ax- evasion. <laughs>
0: yeah, those certainly don't help either, though. So
1: yeah, uh, they uh, have these documents presumably from Fazan. Yes, yes,
0: and they they cart him off, and we finally get a. We got a moment where Reinhardt is like, and so we got the last, most important job, which I'll give to you, Mecklinger, because clearly right.
1: Mecklinger's artistic admiral. You're the one solve who the should problem. deliver
0: the news to <laughs> the <laughs> newly widowed Kempf family that
1: yeah, that and we died in battle. Which oh
0: again. I love the Empire, uh, man. I fucking love the Empire. Everybody, even the children in the Empire, are just born melodramatic. Yeah, I'll,
1: it, I'll, I'll destroy a young Wenli guy. <laughs> uh, even the children swearing their blood oaths yes, against young Wenli.
0: Even, even the children, even the children of the Empire, have sworn to one day destroy the menace, the dreadful young Wenli. It's, it's truly, it's something else. Yeah. But, uh...
1: And uh, Oberstein confronts Hilda yeah. over whether she, she put Reinhardt up to showing mercy.
0: Which really says a lot about fucking Oberstein, that any time Reinhardt does a thing that's, like, morally good, his first instinct is, who the... Ah, he's what, showing what, weakness. Right, what, who, what, what, who, who dared... A trick, Reinhard, into showing weakness. It clearly, it clearly must be an outside influence. It can't ever just be Reinhard. It's like, what kind of misanthropic, deeply pessimistic view of humanity you must have, Oberstein? Yeah. But at the same time, after the conversation, Hilda does recognize that, in all likelihood, the only reason Reinhardt made that choice is because he thought back to to Kirky eyes. Yeah. And actually how precarious Reinhard's like mental like, like I don't mean mental state in the sense of oh he's going to fuck go crazy but like his mental and moral state actually is. Like Yeah. Reinhard kind of morally and ethically just, and mentally hangs on this razor's edge.
1: Yep, he could just tip over and start doing the wrong thing at any moment. Yeah.
0: And like, because of once again, because of Kirky Eyes's extremely poorly phrased last words, like it would be easy, it would be very easy for Reinhard to do some very horrible things yeah. in the name of uh, in the name of Eyes.
1: Hilda sees, the, sees it as her responsibility now yeah. to keep Reinhard on the right path because. As best she can.
0: If only Kirky Eyes were still if alive. If only
1: Kirky Eyes were here. <laughs> and she decides that, like, what she needs to do is meet with uh, Anna Rose.
0: Yeah, kind of an interesting pl- uh, plot point that uh, we kind of just mentioned, but don't really see this episode. But I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I, uh, you know, again, you know, we're not going to really, you know, we're not going to really get into this conversation because we get it, right? Like, you know, Legend of the Galactic Heroes was written, you know, yes. 30 years ago. It's a, it's a story from a different time, but like, I feel like we never not, really get like,
1: it. Not, not about crash the vegetable tests.
0: Yes. <laughs> and again, that's not, obviously, that's not the end-all, be-all of the quality of writing in a story. And right. honestly, you know, again, let's not get it twisted. All, all the characters, you know, even the female characters in Legend of the Galactic Heroes are very well written. Like, they're yeah. just as well written. It's just, it's a shame they don't really get as much screen time a lot of the time, you know? Like, I mean, we'll always go back to Jessica yeah. Edwards, but I think all of them, yeah. you know. Yeah, are interesting characters, and so I am definitely interested in seeing how that goes. But, uh, but yeah, some, so uh, we finally some
1: commentary between the cynic Royenthal and the Optimus yes. Mittermeier.
0: <laughs> yes, where uh, kind of Royenthal, kind of uh, a kind of kind of knows the score here, or oh, claims yeah. he does. That uh, at the end of the day, like, y- yes, Mittermeier, of course. Of of course, Mittermeier, of course, Reinhardt had nice things to say about right, Kemp. Of course, of
1: course, Kemp, course Kemp he rolled gets full honors. Yeah, of control. course, he
0: rolled out the red carpet for Kemp's funeral. Because guess what? Like nice words and tears at a funeral are free. They don't cost a thing. Yeah, like Mueller, medals uh, are free. Yeah.
1: Kemp Kemp was uh, no longer viewed now he's dead. Yeah,
0: and it's it's not like it's not like doing any of that cost him anything. And, it, and and it's a very, again, <laughs> very misanthropic. Maybe not Oberstein-level yeah. misanthropic, but... All, it,
1: of, all of his, uh... All of the admirals are just tools for Reinhardt. Yes. Yeah. And...
0: You know, I, I hate to say it, but, like, you know, as much as I don't tend to want to side with the cynic, I think Reinthal is probably onto... He's probably partially right at the very least. Like...
1: All right. it says, uh... Yeah. It says basically... As much lip service as Reiner gives to the dead, what does he give to the living? Yeah. He's incapable of such emotion.
0: Yeah. And uh Reunthal kind of admits here that uh maybe, you know, nothing explicit, but maybe he has his own ambitions. You know, he Yeah. He kind of says, Well, if I could go back and redo it, you know, maybe I would do things differently. You know? And yeah. Mittermeier doesn't really take well to this, you know, because Mittermeier kind of is the idealist. He is he's a,
1: he's a loyal empire He's man. a loyalist.
0: He's a company man. You know, he uh, yeah. he's not
1: gonna he thinks as long, as long as we just do what Reinhard says, we'll get our just reward.
0: Yeah. yeah. But uh
1: in, in a lot of ways but, but if Kirkyz were alive, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad situation.
0: <laughs> Indeed, if only Kirky eyes were here. But uh <laughs>
1: We really should start a
0: counter. We really should just start counting how many times a character says if only Kirky Eyes were here. But uh but yeah, so then and, we uh, uh, finally return uh, to the afternoon. Mittermide next to himself.
1: Yes. Uh but well, I wonder what young wonder what that young Lee is up to after winning the battle in such a dramatic way. Probably dancing with is, pretty girls and yeah, partying I he, it up. I bet he's partying with a bunch of hot ladies.
0: And then we immediately cut to Yang fucking wrapped up in a blanket, suffering from a cold and asking Julian to booze him up.
1: That's great. So good. They've been they've been apart for a
0: while that I kind of forgot just how much I truly, like of all the character interactions, like it, it, they're a little bit more understated, you know, compared to, you know, to say, Kirky Eyes and Reinhardt, but I truly love when Julian and Yang are together. They
1: they're wonderful you have such
0: a precious like relationship
1: (laughs) it's great like yeah i asked him to booze him up because uh julian's like i'll make you a hot make some hot punch for the cold it's just the thing
0: (laughs) right he's like it's got tea it's like it's got tea honey and wine it's like what's it like
1: like wine water and like hot water honey lemon
0: Sure, it's something like, like that. Nice
1: hot toddy type thing. Yeah, and young and just, just says like, leave out, leave out everything but the wine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I just I will never get bored of their dynamic. And uh, and and then you know it because Julian is such just such a good kid he can't help but spoil Young a little bit so.
1: Put extra wine in that. Yeah, put punch. extra wine in there, which of course
0: puts a smile in Young's face.
1: <laughs> ah, you're a good kid.
0: you're a good kid Julian. you know what to give your fucking (laughs) your mentor and like parental figure more alcohol (laughs) (laughs) Uh, fucking i love i I love i love these two so much but the actual
1: he he tells young he wants to truly formally enlist as a soldier I guess it's been all informal up till now, apparently. Yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know how that's
0: fucking worked. Like, did Julie just fucking go over to Poplin and be like, hey, can you teach me how to pilot a space jet? I want to fly with you guys. Like, I don't know. It's just like a weird understanding or maybe the FPA. Maybe here's the thing. I bet there's like a passage in the novel that literally explains like how branches um, of the military and the FPA work. But like. At least my own conceptualization of how the military works is like, you don't, you don't enlist in like. <laughs> There's no informal Right, informal right. You don't, you don't like. It's. I mean, all right. To a certain degree, Julian probably has a little bit of nepotism going for him, right? Like you can go, you can go. Right, not everybody right. can just approach, you know, the the Shenkop, you know, the famous Rosen Ritter Captain Shenkop, and be like, hey, can you teach me how to shoot? You know, or go to the, you know, ace captain of the the Spartanian squad, you know, Poplin. But also, like, I don't think you would just let a kid fucking pilot a space jet if he weren't already part of the military. But yeah, I think it's kind of that's kind of the less important part. The more important part about this conversation is Julian kind of actively making his own choice, his own, you know, to the the best of his extent, you know, to the, the extent of his age and experience his own informed choice about what he wants to do with his future. And he's decided that his future is he's going to be a soldier and he's not going to be the bad kind of soldier. He's going to be a good soldier. At least. So he says, (laughs) Oh God has says, so he says right now, he's going to be a good soldier that that protects the innocence and protects democracy. And a part of me just fucking
1: bless this child,
0: bless this beautiful idealistic child that is too good for this dirty, shitty era he was born into,
1: <laughs> it's true.
0: Uh, and uh, Lee uh,
1: goes into this, yeah, giant spiel about how armies of tools of violence, but there's different kinds of violence, <laughs> not good violence and bad, but bad violence, but violence to control and oppress and violence to liberate. So kind of good and bad violence, <laughs> kind of yeah, basically, it. but.
0: Yeah, there's kind of a this fantastic, like, you know, as as somebody who who studied history in college and eventually ended up minoring in history, I I actually really love this this uh, kind of pseudo speech from Yang about essentially why he decided to pursue history. Like, we've always heard, "Oh, Yang's a historian. He wanted to be a historian. He want, he studied history in college," but yeah. this is where he finally explains. Why he believes not only is history so important, but why history is so fascinating. And he starts off by informing Julian that, like, army, an army is. armies are intrinsically violence, right? And with violence comes power. And the problem with armies is that armies that belong to someone in power will intrinsically right. and inevitably use their violence to oppress people as they become their own form of power in and of themselves and that oftentimes we cannot defeat the army we cannot defeat fascism at least we cannot do it through traditional ways you know that right as 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 the saying is that the pen is mightier than the sword like
1: their their crime is going to be exposed even if it takes hundreds of years right like can, can be vindicated by history that what that what happened was really bad
0: right like if it, we we may not be able to defeat kaiser rudolph you know through military means but through history through the recordings of 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 human progress yeah. we can expose his his horrible deeds we can show the current generation like why and how such things came to be and how right. we can hopefully you know avoid them in the present you know that he basically says that the pen can impeach history,
1: yeah, that like yeah we could we couldn't couldn't make Rudolph pay for his crimes then, but we can make sure it goes down in history as a hated figure,
0: yes. and you know, oh man, just what a fantastic. what a I think if if anybody ever asks me again, like like, gee, why do you uh, like, don't remember the history? this line? I'm just going to fucking yeah. bust out of this part next. Just like yeah. history isn't just a record of our past. It is a proof of our advance to the present. Like it's basically <laughs> just a really nice way of saying the old history, like historian ch- chestnut of like, if you don't learn history, you're doomed to repeat it. But like it kind of gets to the more intrinsic core of like, yes, on like history isn't just a record. Like, there's often, you know, sorry, we're going very long this oh, podcast, no, no. but I'm going to go to a little bit of another tangent here. But yeah. there's kind of <laughs> there's a there's a bit of a weird counter counter reactionary movement in the, uh, I guess you could say, the historian community, um, where uh, a lot of you know maybe less informed people are saying, shouldn't history be objective? Isn't history just about the facts? Like, Uh, isn't history just about when such-and-such was born, what acts they did, and how they lived their lives? And the thing is that, no, history has, A, never been that, and it never should be. History is inherently editorialized, because...
1: Someone has to choose what's important to write down and what's not important to write down. That's
0: why, you know, uh, up until roughly the 1950s, history was about great and usually mostly white men because historians decided those were the most important people. And so naturally society formed to believe that those were the most important people. It's only recently that we've kind of begun to realize that, oh, historiography is its own craft within history. How you true, like, you know, these are words that often have loaded meanings, but how you choose to editorialize history, how you choose to propagandize it, you know, how you choose to narrativize history is actually a deeply important aspect of history itself. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, read any, like, you know, if you, you ever want to have a fucking real fucking trip, like read any like old history book about an even older event, like Read a read a history book written in the nineteen hundreds about the Civil War. Like, if you want to know where all that like fucking lost cause myth bullshit comes from, like read an mm. old history book. Because the historians of the time decided, oh, these are the important things to report about history. And like Of course that can go both ways. Of course that means that like history can inherently become biased of one of two ways on the political spectrum. You know, I don't want to hope to ever like, you know, diminish that, but it's more that the sooner that we as historians or not me as a historian, as as, you know, I'm not going to claim I'm a historian, but the sooner that historians and society as a whole recognize that history is often the narrative that is crafted by those who choose to write it, the better that we can then better, you know, approach it from the more nuanced position that perhaps it requires yeah. and i think that's kind of the really the excellent part of uh yang's statement on history right it's not just a record of the past it's not just numbers it's not just dates of who lived and who died and when such battles happened it's it is the uh <laughs> that we exist as a right, people right it is the one thing that we as the human race have that no other organism on the planet can, is capable of doing is you know we can record our history we can record our past we can we can write down what people long dead accomplished and we can take lessons from that no other creature on the planet can do that and you know not to get too like you know stoner on a saturday night and be like whoa man <laughs> that's crazy but it kind of is in a way it it fuck man just <laughs> yep uh just young one lee that dude's got a that dude's got a great speech for basically any goddamn occasion
1: indeed
0: man i i i, I I'd invite, so. that, I, I'd invite that, I'd invite that, I'd invite that man to MC my wedding, shit. You, <laughs> you just know he'd have some real good-ass shit to say. But, uh, but anyways, sure. what are, what where's are we going the open on? bar? <laughs> yes, where's the open, first of all, before I begin this speech, where's the open bar? Well, that said, let us begin.
1: <laughs>
0: but, mm-hmm. uh, we finally end the episode with, um, the FPA being shady FPA fucks, you know as they yep. are want to do, kind of basically it's planning on... Discussing
1: on people, how we can bring down Yang Lee.
0: As if Yang Lee is a person who needs to be brought down in the first place. And we get this uh, great, but also horrible statement from uh, one of the characters <laughs> that, uh, well, you know, isn't that the great thing about being in power, about being a politician? Is that if you can't get things done with money you can use your power to disenfranchise those who oppose you while benefiting yourself.
1: Uh, and, and if you don't have that power, you can always use your money to buy the power.
0: Yeah. And it's a boy. If there was ever like a stronger repudiation of this idea <laughs> that like, Oh, people are in power because they earned that power or people are rich because they earned that money. It's like, no motherfucker. Those things are circular. They're they're, they're cyclical. Like one just leads to the other, and they just maintain it indefinitely
1: because they it can cross it from it.
0: Uh, <sighs> but well, uh, Boris
1: Konev thinks it sucks. Yeah, too, Konev. Apparently. Yeah,
0: Boris Konev certainly does not like this.
1: We sent him to like spy on Young or something, but we haven't seen him doing we haven't much. seen of that. him
0: doing a lot of spying. Period. Yeah, I I don't really know when that's gonna come into play.
1: Still curious if he's related yeah. to Ivan Konev.
0: Yeah. Uh, a Brief note. We also get a little bit of the uh the empire. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, yes, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, that was his name. Thank you for reminding me. I almost had forgotten it. The uh, this sickly berry. sickly, Barry, sickly Prima, man, the uh, the biggest yeah. uh, you know, number one Mecklinger fan in the galaxy. Yep.
1: Being his, read uh, Earth, being read Earth, cold scripture. Yeah. On it, like as, as he's lying in bed.
0: And uh, we have. Uh, we have. I, a like
1: that I, don't, I, do, I do like that I don't br- immediately bring up that's Earth cult scripture anything at all. it's just if you're paying attention to what's actually being said. Yes. Are totally talking about Earth.
0: Totally. And so Kunmel kind of has a a weird breakdown that actually is in many ways a very good, very dark mirror to Yang's statement. Because as much as I love Yang's like statement about why he studied history and like his advice on you know to Julian about how to become a proper soldier. Julian does kind of briefly bring up a very brief, kind of half-joking aside of, well, you need people like me doing, like, you know, great important things so that historians, like, you have something to write about. Which, you know, is... I, I, I choose to interpret that as a joke because, you know... look, <laughs> He man, was
1: saying uh, he, they need they need uh, great people like Young, or else historians of nobody to study
0: oh yes yes you're right you're right my bad yes that's that's the way it went but uh because then kunmel kind of has his own kind of dark mirror revelation to that which is oh god i'm going to die and i'm going to die having done nothing or what he believes to be nothing he believes that he has not lived a life that's uh he, he, he believes he's not lived a worthwhile life and that
1: well, in when you're his... comparing yourself to Leonardo da Vinci and Toad Beck, yes. I mean you're gonna come up wanting. Yes,
0: and so he kind of uh, he has this revelation that I need to do something, anything that will that will that will ensure that I am remembered in the annals of history. And uh, we kind of get a little bit more for- foreshadowing from our narrator that uh some something bad going shit down. that's gonna rock the core of both the FPA and the Empire is uh, is soon to come. Yeah. And kind of, kind of making good on the also very ominous foreshadowing from the pre, you know, the previous uh, three yeah, episodes uh, that Kunmel yeah. is going to be the catalyst for some real ratchet shit coming up.
1: Yeah, I'm curious. You
0: know, I'm very <laughs> curious because, like, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, I don't mean to be ableist or you know, whatever. But a part of me initially looks at Kunmel is like, oh, you know, what the, this guy do? The fuck are you gonna do? Like you lay in bed all day and write fucking Mecklinger fan fiction or something, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that you know, yes, yes. We all know that your Mecklinger, you know, your Mecklinger cross Reinhard lemon fan fiction is number two on, you know, all our fucking, whatever that site is called. Um, but, but like, what could you actually do, you know? and, but that's the thing, right? Like Legend of Galactic Heroes always has a trick or fifteen up its sleeve. Indeed. It always has ways to to really catch us off guard, and in some ways, foreshadowing so hard that Kunmel is about to do something has me almost pretty confident that whatever it does will still catch us off guard. Yeah. So, uh, very much looking forward to that.
1: Indeed. <sighs> but uh yeah it's an interesting three episodes yeah yeah
0: we're, I think we're gonna call it a podcast here uh yeah. approaching 100 minutes uh apologies for the kind of bloated podcast there were just a lot of really great stuff to talk about this week you know definitely yeah. I think maybe maybe you agree with me here Eero. kind of maybe the strongest trio of episodes we've gotten in season two so far
1: yeah for sure
0: um you know, uh, before we uh, close it, do you uh, have any closing thoughts about this trio before we uh, we wrap up? Mm.
1: I think we've covered pretty much all of it. Uh.
0: I uh, I think I would agree. I think we uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, covering our bases. So uh, with all that done, yeah. let's uh, let's get into
1: housekeeping. So. Yeah. I think by the time this podcast is out, all of the year-end stuff oh, will, will be Oh, will really the year-end stuff out? be out.
0: All right. In that case, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that real quick. So for those of you listening to the podcast, uh, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not. That's totally fine. Uh, we also write and host the podcast on a blog called theglorioblog.com, where uh, Iro and I and the rest of the editors at the blog kind of, uh, well, cover anime throughout the year and occasionally podcast yeah. about it as well in our sister <laughs> podcast the glorio chat
1: i think our top 10 would be out by the time yes it and out, so right?
0: at the end of uh, every year we uh, not only do does uh, every member of the blog kind of write their own bespoke end of year post that we don't really have any hard rules it's not a top 10 list it's not an awards post basically everybody just gets a chance to kind of write about the anime that aired in 2018 and kind of air their thoughts you know and It's not always just about the anime that aired in uh, in the year, but also the anime we watched in the year. So, (laughs) for example, Legend of the Galactic Heroes might come up in a couple of posts, you know? So, you know, keep an eye out there if that's what you're interested in. But uh, in addition, we also uh, do a top 10 uh, anime of the year list. Uh, Of course, these are just our opinions. Um, We don't... uh, we don't say it's an objective list, but just uh, the anime we kind of arrived at as our favorite 10 of the year. And then we're also going to be doing a podcast where we kind of discuss our our top 10 picks and maybe talk about a couple of anime that didn't make the top 10, including, uh, you know, uh, including the actual secret number one anime of 2018, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry sorry to spoil our top ten list, actually. Uh, yeah, it's it's number one, Heroes, Legend of the Galactic
1: Heroes. Legend of Legend the Galactic the Heroes. Heroes
0: wins all of the awards. Every award just goes to Legend of the, of the Galactic Heroes. It's crazy. Uh, we never saw it coming, but yeah, somehow weird. it just swept all of the awards. But uh, in all yeah. seriousness, if you're interested in hearing our takes on uh, anime that on, aren't Legend of the Galactic more Heroes. More
1: recent anime.
0: Yeah, you know, maybe uh, give that a listen. But uh, I'd say with uh, all of that taken care of, I think we can uh, wrap things yeah. up. So yeah. to finish off the housekeeping, you can also listen to the podcast on iTunes and Podbean and wherever podcasts are uh, aggregated and shared, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: And you um, can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive yes, and, yes, you VRV. Can. and VRV. Perf.
0: Merv, Vrv, I, I don't know how it's pronounced. Well, I won't to put that in Crunchyroll. That'd be rad. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Put Legend of the Galactic Heroes in Crunchyroll. Now that they like, got yeah, their come on, deals, got, that, got that deal. Yeah. Exactly. Come On high dive. Uh, let's see. You can also uh, listen to the podcast on YouTube if you <laughs> just Google Legend of the Glorio Heroes yep. YouTube. You'll find it yep. there because we don't have a URL. But maybe if all you lovely listeners uh, subscribe, we might someday. You know, leave a review, tell your friends, tell your enemies, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, I think uh, off the top of my head, I think that's going to do it for a podcast. So, as always, uh, thank you all for listening. We always appreciate it. We read all the comments. We don't always get time to respond to all of them, but we always love to hear what you guys have to say about our you know, our uh, very Wolfly fresh
1: misinformed or, or
0: misinformed opinions or our lack of knowledge about, um, Novels. novelists or philosophers from history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we always appreciate it. And, uh, let's see. Iro, thank you. Uh, thank you yeah, for thank accompanying
1: you.
0: me. Of course. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, yes. Thank you, me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh i hope uh i hope you all have a happy holidays and a happy new year and had uh, at this point. oh yeah probably had at this point yes my apologies yes i keep forgetting that we're recording this uh a couple days uh before christmas but you guys will be listening to this uh probably almost maybe right around the new year so in that case have a happy new years and uh you know we'll uh, we'll see you all uh, we'll see you all next year well you know we're still gonna be doing this you know we uh yeah still going to be talking about Legend of the Galactic Heroes next year. We, we, got, we, got, we got a lot of episodes left to go through and a lot of takes left to give. Until next year, we'll see you all amongst the sea of stars.